The man is an animal. Ripping out folds, urinating on desks. You see what he did to Miss Cochran's shirt? There's a scratch here. I mean, it's not deep, but it's there. It's okay. Have you heard anybody else? Is the strain beginning to show on him? If I could sleep 10 days and nights in a rice paddy, I could certainly last in this lousy bank. This is what the animal said to us. He says to Miss Cochran here, baby, up your butt with a coconut. I think he was prepared to do it. Except I saw no coconut. Yeah, he had no coconut to bite out. No coconut. to another exciting episode of Not A Bomb Podcast. This is the podcast where we go back and look at all of the movies that bombed in the theaters or maybe didn't get a fair shake with a bunch of the movie critics. I am your host, Troy, and with me is my co-host, Brad. How you doing tonight, Brad? I'm doing great. Man, <laughs> I don't know about you, but uh, the season now has become my allergies just suck all of a sudden, so I'm doing the whole neti pot thing. It's like one day it's fine, and then the next day I can't breathe. So if I sound a little bit nasally today, it's because I live in the Ohio Valley and uh, allergies suck. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. It, it is that time of year. We're getting and nasty. Troy. Yes. I, what? Go. I, I have to. I have to sidebar because I have to. I have to make a confession. You always have to sidebar. I, I know. So <laughs> something I've gone down this weird rabbit hole the last oh, no. probably month. Okay. Um, and it just reminded me because I was typing up my notes out of my uh, my little notebook here um, on my screen, so I can see them to make sure you know I say the right thing and all that keeps me on track. I, I love how I, you go from neti pot to sinuses to you got a sidebar because you found some note in your notebook. No, no, th this is so I I cannot use our my keyboard that I use predominantly for my laptop because I am obsessed with custom doing custom keyboards. Have you ever heard anyone doing such a thing before? Okay. No, I so don't know where this is going. Here's my custom keyboard. See, okay. I have, and it's got all these nice switches. Listen to this clickety clack. Uh-huh. Can you hear that? I, I heard it's the got a nice yes. It's got okay. a nice tactile feel. Yes. So I was typing up my notes and I was like, wow, I can never use this while we record because everyone would hear me typing. Um, but it just got me thinking like, man, if you would have told me a year ago that I would be spending way too much money on parts to build custom keyboards so I could type with a nice tactile feel, I would have called you crazy. But but quarantine does some weird things to people, Troy. Is is this the sidebar? I mean, you're you're basically sort of opening up your personal life and saying COVID has this repercussion in your life of custom it does. keyboards. Yeah, on one side we have, hey, let's start a podcast for my good friend Troy. On the other side, I have, <laughs> hey, I'm building custom keyboards because I type probably 50 hours a week. So you know. Okay, this is the weirdest intro ever. Usually we would start and go, you know, here's us, and I hate the intros anyways, but here's us, and how you doing? Great, allergy season, blah blah blah, weather here, whatever. And you you go from neti pot, which that image alone grosses me out, all the way to custom keyboards, 
Wow, there's our there's our intro, folks. Yeah, there Welcome you go, back. Troy. Yeah, hey, this yeah. is this is a bit lighter. It's just you and I tonight. And Episode forty two. Forty two. Last week we got all pretentious in art house and talked about uh well, for between you and I, a divisive film. And and this week we're going the opposite direction. But this is the second pick from our contest we ran a few weeks ago when we were giving Mike McGranahan's book My Year of Chevy. Uh, you had already done your pick already, and that was Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai. Correct. So tonight, we are talking about my pick from all of the entries that we got for that book contest, and it is Philip's pick from 1990. We're going to talk about Quick Change, starring Bill Murray, Gina Davis, and Randy Quaid. I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited, too. Do you know what a Quick Change is? No. Have you ever I, heard of a Quick Change? No, I've heard of it as a movie. Okay, quick change is a type of bank fraud. Oh, okay. So a perpetrator will walk into a branch of a bank and I will say, let's say I, I hand you a, you're the teller and I hand you a $50 bill and say, I need change for this 50. And then you give me change. And then I turn around and say, okay, now I need change for this 20. And then I keep doing this and I'm trying to confuse you on what bills I'm giving you. So it's quick change. And I'm hoping at some point in time you screw up it gave me too much money, and then I walk out of the branch. So have you done this before? Have you tried it out? I have not. I have not. To be fair, I, I worked at a bank um, and did a lot of security auditing, so I, I know some of these things. Well, this is going to be an exciting episode because we're going to hear about security auditing in a bank. Yay! Yes. Uh, wow. Okay, note to self, don't pick any bank heist films because I don't want you to drone on and on about auditing because you'll start bringing math in. Next thing you know, that leads to science, and it's just downhill yeah. from there. Now, I don't know if this is why they call it quick change, but it, it made sense to me. Okay. Because it's like a bank thing. Well, hey, listen, I, this is an interesting film because it stars Bill Murray, it's produced by Bill Murray, and it's actually directed by Bill Murray. And we'll, we'll get into a lot more details about this, but I thought it would be a fun conversation to talk about some of the actors or actresses that after they've been in front of the camera for a little bit, they like to kind of jump into the director's chair. And in some occasions, they're working you know, behind the camera and in front of the camera. So I thought we would sort of trade maybe our top three actors or actresses that have moved on into directing um, and I specifically, when I looked at my list, what I tried to do is is kind of model it off of this film and say, all right, not just directing, but they were also starring or or co-starring within the film. So I'm going to start with you, Brad. I mean, we, we are talking about Bill Murray and his, sort of his directorial debut. And this is the only movie he directed as well. He co-directed Quick Change. But in, in just talking about that topic, uh, what, what are some of your favorite people that have worn both hats within the film industry? Okay. Um, this person did not actually star in either of the films he has directed. Okay. Um, but I didn't want to leave him off my list cause I didn't, cause you said, Hey, I'm mine are going to be like, they directed and starred. So I went with Jordan Peele, um, the director of get out and us get out, um, was one of those movies when you saw it definitely had a profound effect on you either, I mean, I, I think people had a strong reaction to that movie. I love it. I know some people hate it, but um, that as a directorial debut is probably one of the biggest home runs, I would yeah, say. Absolutely. Um, so, and, and us is not as good, I don't think, um, but I do definitely enjoy it quite a bit. So, um, 
Jordan Peele is one of those directors, whatever he does, I'm seeing it the first weekend it comes out. And that is so weird because I never watched K and Peele. I watch, I watch snippets of that show, but to mm -hmm. come from a comic background and go into horror and social commentary back. Yes. Horror, yeah, exactly. Holy cow. What a talent. Yeah. You see, you know, everyone's seen, you know, the gremlins, you know, skit and you're like that guy <laughs> ended up doing get out and us. And, you know, it just goes to like kind of his breadth of what he can do and, and Get Out was a passion project that he spent seven years on. So, yeah. well, I, I, with that pick, I feel like mine are just sort of obvious choices. But I'm going to go with my first one. So when we talk about this, um, one, I I don't know. I would say one of the most prolific directors, and definitely one of the most prolific actors out there is Clint Eastwood. Yep. And I I don't think you can talk about this subject without bringing his name up. And specifically when I think about movies, now he's, he's done both, right? So he's done films where he has starred in them and directed or where he simply directed. But the two movies that uh, to me are one of his best in terms of being in front of the camera and behind of the camera are Unforgiven and Gran Torino. I think it's interesting that him as a filmmaker who especially in the 70s and 80s became somebody sort of known for the Dirty Harry movies, the action, the violence, etc. In his later career, he's making two movies that are a commentary on violence, and they're so good. I, I love those films. And he's one of those that the minute that I see his name attached to something, be it in front of the camera, behind the camera, I'm I'm always going to see it. I mean, even, even within my DVD or Blu-ray collection, I, I have a Clint Eastwood section simply because I, I've liked all of his work to some degree. I feel like I'm on an island on that Richard Jewell movie. I feel like I, I really liked it quite a bit. Um, the 96 Olympics was one of the first things I remember. And I feel like no one talks about that movie and everyone that I know hates it. So, um, but, but that's a good example. He, he picks um, topics or uh, scripts that interest him. So I, mm -hmm. I assume with the amount of financing that he can gain or by just putting his name on it, he's always going to choose something that interests him and that he feels that, you know, he can make into, I guess, an interesting film, but I'm with you. I, that's another film where it's like, I, I don't think it's great. I think it's interesting. I think it's good. I think that central performance is really good, but I, you just don't hear a lot of love for it, but I still think yep. Eastwood throughout his entire film career, even stuff like play Misty for me all the way up to Richard Jewell. He's, he's always doing something interesting. Yeah. Million dollar baby is a fantastic movie. Oh yeah, I mean, absolutely. Um, I knew you were going to pick that because I know you, so I did not put it on my okay. list because I was like, sure, we'll have Clint Eastwood. So. Yes, I will. Okay, so who, who was, what was another one that you decided to go down? I went with uh, Mr. Ben Affleck as my second. Um, I was going to have that, but I knew you were going to pick that. Yes, The Town. <laughs> um, speaking of heist movie, The Town is um, one of my favorite heist movies. I think probably after Heat, The Town is probably my second favorite heist movie. And then Argo, I enjoy quite a bit. Um, was it the best movie that year? I don't know, but I I, I enjoy it, and I've liked a lot of his his uh, directorial stuff. So that, that's a good pick. I he's, I had to pick my doppelganger. So that's true. You do have that Ben Affleck look. <laughs> okay, so this was a tough one for me. So I I was coming down to these two actors slash directors, and there's it, it really came down to consistency. So the one that I didn't pick is the person who really is known for comedy. And right now he's, he's got a lot of success with Always Sunny in Philadelphia, 
but it's Danny DeVito. And I love War of the Roses. And I love Death to Smoochie. And I think we'll end up talking about that one. But I like the fact that he went to drama too and did Hoffa. But I think consistently his movies are a little bit all over the place. So instead of Danny DeVito, I went and picked Ben Stiller because I absolutely love Zoolander and Tropic Thunder. I think wow, okay. he is a fantastic director and he's really good in those two films. And, and I just, I, I, Zoolander by itself, I mean, anybody who can actually bring breakdance fighting to the screen and make it work and make me laugh about it and get those performances um, out of that entire cast and Tropic Thunder. I mean, I know it might uh, get canceled at some point, but <laughs> it's, it's, I don't know. The whole point funny. of that movie is kind of those things, you know, they're yeah. poking fun at that. So, and, and I yeah. like his films. I'm there with you, Tropic Thunder. I think Tropic Thunder is one of the funniest movies I've ever seen. If it makes me a bad person. Okay. Well, but I, I think both Zoolander and, and Tropic Thunder actually have a little bit of substance behind them in terms of criticizing either the fashion industry uh, or Tropic Thunder really kind of going after the film industry. Yeah, exactly. So, exactly. And, and there's your obligatory Tom Cruise reference too for Tropic Thunder. One of the best Tom Cruise performances of all time. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Yep. What's your, what's your third pick? Um, so I, I did these kind of in an order and, you know, it would be hard for me to not mention this person, um, because they are widely considered one of the greatest directors of all time. I went with Mr. Orson Welles and, um, I know everyone goes to Citizen Kane. I like touch of evil quite a bit too. Um, I actually just recently watched touch of evil for the first time in a really long time. Um, those are two of my probably favorite old timey movies um, and Orson Welles obviously is one of the most um, important directors of all time. I agree. And he's I, great. He's great in citizen Kane too. He is fantastic. It, it's one of those I'm ready. To, I think I'm ready to introduce Cameron and angel to they've never oh. seen it. Oh, so they, I think they're at to a, at a point within their film appreciation that they could sit down and look at it. And I think they will be able to sort of gravitate to, why it's so important in terms of film in general, but I'm, I'm really excited to take them down that path and even kind of go through the documentaries and, and a lot of the films that have been made about citizen Kane and Orson Welles. Yeah. Make is really good too. So you have to follow it up with that. Okay. Well, my third pick, it's the obvious choice. I can't pick anybody, but this person as the greatest director slash actor of all time ever. Well, who is it, Brad? I was going to say Jackie Chan. Yes, Jackie Chan. Now, listen, it would be easy to pick movies like Police Story, which really revolutionized action films within the 80s. And, and there are so many Hollywood films that copied that. But the two that I gravitate to the most when I think about Jackie Chan in terms of being one of the best directors out there, as well as starring in films, is specifically Project A, where he got to work with Sammo Hung and Yun Biao. And that is sort of a nod to the old classic comedies of, um, you know, the silent era, <laughs> where he is, you can really see that he is borrowing from the greats and trying to incorporate that a lot into the stunt work. Project A is, is in, in all, it's just a masterpiece. I, I can never get enough watching it and the second one is great too and then the other one that i really like is miracles it's also known as mr canton and lady rose but that is his re-envisioning of a favorite movie of his which is frank capra's pocket full of miracles from 1961 so to me 
as great Jack, as great Jackie Chan is at the stunt work and the choreography and the humor, what Project A really represents and even Miracles is his appreciation of older films, especially silent films with Project A. But Frank Capra and Miracles has some amazing fight choreography, but the story in and of itself and the retelling of that sort of, um, it's, it's a gangster period piece and him and Anita Mui are just fantastic in it. But I, I don't think those two films get uh, enough love. I, I know everybody, you know, Criterion gravitated to putting out Police Story 1 and 2, which are fantastic. But I would love Criterion to go back and do Project Day, Project Day Part 2, uh, Miracles. I, I, I think you could really make a case that those su are supposed to be on a label like Criterion because it's referencing some of the greats in, in cinema. Confession. I've never seen miracles. Project A I've seen. Miracles I have not. You got to get on that, man. I will. I will. It, would it have been wrong? So it would have been wrong if I would have said Tarantino, right? Because he is an actor, but he's a director turned actor, right? Well, he's the other way around. What was that film that he did? Destiny Turns the Radio or something that uh -huh. I, I think I remember seeing it a long time but, ago. No, he is a director turned actor. He's a director turned actor. That's true. So you yes. got from Dust Till Dawn. That, that makes sense. Yes. Well, yes. I mean, yeah. Wasn't well, he a, an Elvis impersonator in the Golden Girls? Episode? Oh, yeah. Yes. Yes. There's Does that, that count? Too. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know, man. I, I just felt like everyone knows him as a director first and then an actor. So, and his acting is pretty atrocious. Oh, yeah. Remember that part in Django Unchained with the Australian mm, accent? Yes, that was terrible. <laughs> everyone remembers that. So. Absolutely terrible. I well, didn't go down that road. So tonight we're the, my favorite thing about doing this type of podcast. And I, I think this is sort of a reflection of just our friendship in real life is our movie tastes are all over the place. So you will watch something through the week and talk about it and it'll force me to go watch it. And if you were to kind of sit back and look at all of the films, probably over the last year, not even the ones that we talk about, but the ones that we sort of recommend to each other, we do tackle a lot of pretentious or art house stuff like Under the Skin, which we talked about last week. But then we also go to, I would say, the the summer fair, the you know, the blockbusters and, and even the dumb films like Miami Connection and Solar Babies. Samurai Cop. Samurai Cop, yeah. All of that stuff. So I love that we kind of go up and down the ladder in terms of quality of filmmaking. And this one kind of goes in the middle, I think. It's not your big Hollywood blockbuster, even though I think it was released in the summer. And it's not your art house picture, but it feels like that middle of the road, I don't know, comedy from 1990. And, and I'm so glad that Philip picked this one out because it gives us a chance to talk about Bill Murray. And Bill Murray's had a couple of bombs in his career. And he will come up quite often, I think, on this show as we continue doing this, but quick change is one that I don't think a lot of people talk about it. It's been out there on DVD for a while. I think it's just getting a Blu-ray release from Warner yeah, archive yeah. here pretty soon. It was funny. Cause when I, I had told you that I had never actually never heard of this movie until Philip recommended it. And then all of a sudden I'm seeing quick change all over my feed on, you know, Instagram <laughs> and stuff saying, Hey, you know, it's getting a Blu-ray release soon. And I'm like, Oh man, that's really interesting. And then like the other day it was like four ninety nine on iTunes. And I was like, okay, well, perfect. Cause we're getting ready to watch it. So I'm going to get it. So I, I've had a lot of interaction with quick change, a film that I didn't know existed six weeks ago. Well, and 
I wonder if Philip did an email campaign to Warner Brothers saying this needed a Blu-ray treatment. I hope he did. I, I hope, hope he so did. Too. He's been great about sending these clips that I didn't even know existed with all these different interviews with Randy, uh, Randy Quaid, Gina Davis. And um, there, there was also a fantastic interview with Bill Murray that looks like he was doing something for a local show out of New York. Yeah, is that the one where he's like not looking at the camera? Yeah, he's was, off to the it, side a little bit. It's really awkward. It was weird, but it was it was Bill at his most casual, and it seemed like he knowed knowed. No, and I don't know what's going on with me tonight. And I swear, folks, did I have you not been did you major did you major in English in college? Uh, I apparently have a degree in it, so mm. we'll let it go. Okay, thank you. So, uh, also, also, wait. Yeah. In in that interview, to go back, Bill Murray said that he was from New York. I thought Bill Murray was from like Evanston, Illinois. I thought he was like a Chicago guy. I thought he lived in New York. Okay, so time. maybe he's from because I know when the Cubs were all about when when the Cubs won the World Series, Bill Murray was all over the place. Well, he's um, a big Cubs fan. Yeah, yeah. Well, this and this will be interesting because I think he lives in New York. But his commentary on New York, especially in films coming out around this time period, we're going to get to that. I, I think we're getting way too far down in the conversation. So, Brad, when we talk about these films, we usually start on your end and we talk about the box office and the critics. This one's kind of interesting. So let's run through the numbers and let's talk about Quick Change when it came out in 1990. Yeah, so you were right. Uh, comes out July 13th of 1990. So summer film. Summer film. Okay. <laughs> Which uh, is budget, weird. okay. Yeah, budget of seventeen million dollars. Total box office run fifteen point two million dollars. So doesn't even break its production budget. Opening weekend, it comes in in seventh place with a four point seven million dollar opening weekend. Uh, so not not great. Um, I will say it held really well the second week. I think it only dropped off like thirty percent. So it, it gained. It made another like. Uh, $3.6 million. So a 30% decrease from week to week is actually pretty good. You usually see about 50%. Right. Um, so, you know, it, it held strong. I will tell you, Troy, and I know I say this a lot, the films that came out in July of 1990 were pretty stellar. Well, well, I was working in the movie theater at this time period. Ooh, so ooh. it was my transition from high school to freshman year of college. Ooh. And I, I remember this movie being in the theater and liking it quite a bit when I saw it. So I, I had a chance just working at the movie theater, being able to watch it several times. Okay. Do you remember on July 2nd of 1990 when Die Hard 2 came out? Die Harder. Is that really the subtitle of that movie? Yeah, the... I believe so. Mm -hmm. That was a Rennie Harlan film. He had two films come out that year, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Ghost on July 12th. Ghost? Yeah. Big Ghost fan, Troy? You like Ghost, don't you? Uh, I I like it. I don't, I don't want to say yeah. a big fan. I, I think, it, so Whoopi Goldberg won an Academy Award as Best Supporting Actor. Yes, she did. For yes. That film, which yes. I think was very much deserved. She was fantastic in that film. Absolutely. Um, King of New York, which is a big movie. Um, Arachnophobia, which is one of my uh, kind of, Films I really enjoy a lot. That was an HBO movie um, when I was growing up. Uh, Navy Seals comes out in July of 1990. Yes, I, I remember that with Michael Bean and Charlie Sheen. Charlie Sheen. Yes. 
this movie, which I actually forgot existed, The Freshman. Oh my Mar- gosh! Yeah, I just watched that the other day. It. What are you? What? Yeah, it's Marlon Brando and Matthew Broderick. Yes, right. And Penelope. Okay. Oh gosh, I can't remember her name. Uh, she was in the Gun and Betty Lou's handbag. Um, oh, I. Anyways, it's it's a great film. Marlon Brando is sort of playing into his Penelope Ann Miller. Penelope Ann Miller. Yeah. Yes. So it's 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 a cool little film. I, I actually. Okay. You, yeah, it's it's cheap on Blu-ray too. I think Mill Creek put it out, and that's why I bought it. It it came in one of those like VHS slipcover things that they've been doing. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. It, no, it's it's a it's a fun little movie. It's really good. Of course, I'm I've I mentioned some random movie, and you're like, oh yeah, I watched that the other day. Okay. That no, was fun. I I, it's it's Marlon Brando impersonating Marlon Brando from the Godfather series, so it's it's really good. Okay. Um, presumed innocent, which I believe is a Harrison, Harrison Ford. Ford. Yes. Okay. And this movie, which, uh, was a USA afternoon special for me, problem child. Oh I think I've God. seen problem child no less than 900 times. Cause it was on USA all the time. I remember, I remember working in the theater and the worst auditorium that we ever had to clean up, I think was out of problem child. Because some little kid had vomited by eating too much popcorn there. So absolutely horrible. And you cannot get the smell of just <laughs> popcorn vomit out of the auditorium or your nostrils for like weeks. It was horrible. John Ritter was like the father in the 90s. He was amazing as like the father. He did uh, yeah. He did another film that I, I think I kind of liked, which is where they go into the TV Stay tuned, stay tuned, which is which we will do on this show because I love stay tuned. Yeah, that's a forgotten classic there. It is not forgotten by me. Okay. <laughs> so those are the movies uh, that came out July of 1990. Man, I feel like um, I just relived my summer right before yeah. college. That's awesome. Picking up vomit. There you okay. go, Troy. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, the critics and the audience for Quick Change, the critics come in at 82%. Wow. And, and this is something that we don't see very often, but the audience comes in less than the critics at 71%. So, yeah, we don't, we usually see the audience way above the uh, critics. Um, critics use, tend to be a little bit more harsh, but uh, on this one, the critics like it better than the audience. So, there you go, Troy. Well, I think the critics, when you go back and read the reviews at the time that this was coming out, the critics really gravitated to Bill Murray. Yes. And just they loved all his mentioned how. His his performance in this movie is is what kind of gravitates this movie. Yeah, I agree. And so now we get to the people who are making the film, and we talk about those that are behind the camera, and then the actors and actresses in front of it. So let's talk about the people who are making the film, and so we talk about the director. So as I said at the beginning, this is Bill Murray's directing debut, and he co-directs this with Howard Franklin. So Howard Franklin only directed three films. This was his first one as well, Quick Change. He went on to do The Public Eye in 1992 with Joe Pesci. And then he also did another Bill Murray film in 1996 called Larger Than Life. And that's Bill Murray uh, sharing screen time with an elephant. And the funny thing about this is Bill Murray is also listed as a producer. And if you kind of read some articles about the film, he gets an unaccredited screenwriting uh, but that doesn't show up on on some of your, I don't know, movie sites like IMDb, et cetera. But when we're talking about the screenplay, we also find ourselves talking about Howard Franklin as well. So he co-directed and he was a screenwriter. 
Howard Franklin has a pretty interesting history. He's uncredited for doing um, screenwriting on Romancing the Stone from 1984. He did The Name of the Rose in 1986 with Sean Connery. Someone to Watch Over Me, 1987, which is a, it's sort of a modern film noir thing with Tom Berenger and Mimi Rogers. That's pretty good. You, okay. You should watch that I one. I might need to check that out. Yeah, he did the quick change, or the movie we're talking about today, which is Quick Change, 1990, Public Eye in 92. He does another Bill Murray film, The Man Who Knew Too Little, 1997. So him and Bill Murray obviously have a pretty good work, working relationship. Uh, Antitrust in 2001 and The Big Year in 2011 with Owen Wilson, Steve Martin, and Jack Black. Well, antitrust with Ryan Philippi? Wow. Yeah. Okay. So I did not expect that to be on his uh, filmography. Yeah, I've never seen that one. I I, I got to be honest. I remember I think seeing The Public Eye. I I do remember The Man Who Knew Too Little, and I, I actually like that one. Um, big The Big Year, Owen Wilson. Not familiar with that one at all. I mean, I I remember it. I don't think I've ever seen it. And this, I don't think any, I don't think anyone's seen that movie. Yeah, I probably think you're, too. You're fine. <laughs> and and this movie is actually based on a book by Jay Cronley, but the film we're talking about in 1990, this would be the second film adaptation. An earlier version of the book was released in 1985, and it was called Hold Up, and it starred Jean-Paul Belmondo and Kim Cattrall. So this is, and they were way nicer in that movie because they were Canadian. They were Canadian, eh? Yes. Okay. <laughs> so. Do we know? So I could not find this out. And I'm guessing it would have had to have been because he's all over the place. But was this like a passion project for Bill Murray? I think it was. He, we'll talk about this when we sort of get into the film development. But one of the reasons why you see him in the director chair was he. this was a script that he wanted to bring to life. And at the end of the day, he sunk his own money into it because the studios just were not a fan of this project at all. But yeah, this is a total passion project for him because that's why you see him as producer. He ended up doing director duties. I think one of the things that he joked about was he had always been criticized for being hard to work with. So he said, like, fine, I'll direct the film with his buddy Howard. So, and and honestly, when we talk about the film, I'll, I'll be the first to say I I don't see a tonal shift in the film, meaning I could not, you know, sometimes you watch a movie and you see a different tone or different style and it feels obvious that somebody's directing one piece over another. I don't think that's the case here. I, yeah, it's pretty cohesive for sure. Yeah, it is very much. Um, but let's talk about Bill Murray for a second because, I mean, obviously directing, unaccredited writing, producer, he's also in front of it. And, I mean, this is his film through and through. Do you like Bill Murray? I mean, are you a big Bill Murray fan? Absolutely. Um, growing up, the people who were most important to me in my life were Luke Skywalker, uh, Indiana Jones, Marty McFly, and all the Ghostbusters. So, okay. you know, those those are the people that were most important to me. So um, I I will always remember the day I told my parents what I, what I wanted to be when I grew up, and they had to tell me that Ghostbusting was not – a real occupation, even though busting feels good, Troy. I um, totally can see you as a ghostbuster. I actually I, I think know, you missed I your know. calling. I, th I think you should have one of those YouTube channels where you're go walking around like at dark penitentiaries or whatever, hunting <laughs> ghosts. Yeah. I, yeah. I get scared too easy. So, um, oh, dude, but no, too. Bill Murray, you know, going back and watching some of that SNL stuff and, you know, I'm not, I don't know that stuff, not so much, but you know, his work in, Ghostbusters, even Ghostbusters 2. Um, and then, you know, he's kind of taken on this 
iconic sort of figurehead now like everyone who's a millennial like loves him like i see stickers of bill murray on the back of people's cars so it's uh it's weird how he has turned out to be this guy but you know when i was growing up he was one of the most important people to me well i think he's one of the most important comedic actors from the 80s on to be quite honest and and even when he kind of hooked his wagon to west anderson west anderson and doing more dramatic movies or quirky comedies i mean he, he really has a pretty good acting range although he still manages to come through with that bill murray sort of sarcastic comedy. sarcastic yeah, yeah yeah and i totally forgot i mean he he officially joined saturday night live in the second season i for some reason in my head i always forget he's there from the beginning no he, he was there as a replacement to chevy chase and then he was on for three seasons from 77 to 19 because he was a second city guy out of chicago so yeah, yeah. And, and if you look at when the 80s happen and you get caddyshack to stripes to tootsie ghostbusters in 84 um man i loved him in little shop of horror horrors in 86 even though he had a small bit part there when he's walking into steve martin's dentist as the the person you know yeah. the masochist yeah. i mean he steals the scene. scrooge scrooge is like only kind of good because of him really oh, absolutely it's well, his performance it's funny i guess leading up to quick change you've got 1988's scrooge then after that 1989's ghostbusters 2 which Scrooge and Ghostbusters 2, I, I don't remember the box office of Scrooge, but I don't think it was liked very well by a lot of critics. No, it was not. Yeah, and I know Ghostbusters 2 wasn't liked by the critics, and it bombed for the most part. Yeah, I mean, it, it failed to make the money that the first one did, so yeah, it is considered a bomb. So he, he did Quick Change in 1990, then follows that up with What About Bob, Groundhog Day, Mad Dog and Glory in 93, where he plays a gangster, and he's in that film with Uma Thurman and Robert, Robert De, Niro. De Niro, which is a fantastic film. I think that was the movie that I started looking at Bill Murray, not just as a comedian, but being able to do something else, and he's, he's really menacing in that film. What, what is your thoughts on Groundhog Day? Are you, like, think it's, like, the greatest thing ever, or are you like me who just, like, yeah, it's, it's fine. I don't get why everyone goes nuts over it. I, I think it's a funny movie. I'm surprised how many people go nuts over it or even the studios out of all the Bill Murray movies, that one got like a 4k release pretty quickly. Yeah. So yeah it, it, it must be super popular with a lot of people. It's funny. Cause like a lot of times you'll see, Oh, this is groundhog day, but in a video game or this is groundhog day, but a horror movie, you know, like happy death day. It was like groundhog day, but it's a horror movie. And you're like, I mean, I get it because it's easy to make that comparison, but I, I just don't understand all the love for Groundhog Day, but it's and, fine. Yeah, and I, I love his choice of films. I mean, he will do those comedies, then he'll do something like Ed Wood with Tim Burton, which, again, he's a I scene, love Ed Wood. Yeah, he's a scene stiller. In People the need to talk about that more than Groundhog Day if you want, if you want to know the truth. I, I agree. But, I, but again, you get stuff like Rushmore, Wes Anderson's Rushmore. He's He's so good, I think, in all of the Wes Anderson films. Um, lost in translation i mean the guy just puts out quality products and tell me how excited you were when he showed up in Zombieland. oh it was i i remember seeing that with our buddy charlie opening weekend and so you know it wasn't out yet like the spoiler that he was in it and when you see him it, it that movie just is like ratchets up the comedy so much and 
they ask you like what his biggest regret was. And I think he says something about Garfield maybe. Yeah. And it's, it's <laughs> pretty funny. So yeah, we can't forget about the Garfield movies. Yeah. The well, tale of, the tale of two kitties or whatever the second one's called. I had to watch those over and over again because when they came out, my kids were, you know, those were the type of films that my kids were watching. And, and I got to tell you, I didn't, I didn't mind him. If, you, if you're going to pick a voice for Garfield, it's going to be Bill Murray in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, pretty spot on. So let's keep going through the cast. So we, we've already talked about Gina Davis, I think, ad nauseum from our Cutthroat Island episode. But here's a couple of facts. And our, our good friend um, and listener, and he's also been on the, the podcast for Showgirls, he, he sent me a message after listening to Cutthroat Island and wanted to point out that um, Gina Davis is a member of Mensa, a social organization whose members are in the top 2% of intelligence. Yeah, they're geniuses. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're super smart. So she's part of that club. And then the other thing which I didn't know is what if that, I told you I was a member of Mensa? I, I would sort of believe that because you like math <laughs> no. and science. <laughs> no, I'm totally not. What's the inverse of being in Mensa? That's me. <laughs> okay. Well, I know I'm definitely not in it because, I mean, just rewind. I don't know how many minutes and I can't even pronounce words right. Um, but this is the other thing I thought was super interesting. So she was introduced to archery, introduced to archery in 1997, but she was like just i don't know super good at it and so she Wait, just introduced our, oh someone okay yeah somebody's like Sorry, here's a bow here's an arrow yeah. like it's shoot that target and she did and everybody's like wow you're like a was her sister good. chosen to be like in like a battle royale sort of thing and she sacrificed herself as tribute Sorry, I, I don't know. If they, if they were if they were making the hunger hunger games back in the 90s i'm sure she would have like been the first choice of it but i guess in 97 she she kind of picks up archery and in July 1999, she was among 300 women who vied for a spot in the U.S. Olympics archery team in Sydney 2000. So she did not cut and make it to the national team. She came in 24th and uh, ended up participating in a wild card entry in the Sydney International Aero Competition. That's pretty cool. That is a fun fest. Thank you, Jose, for pointing out that Gina Davis is great at archery and she's, she's still not very good in Cutthroat Island, but you know. You Good for her. watch your mouth, okay? <laughs> She's amazing in Cutthroat Island. Dude, to be fair, again, like I said in that episode, she was trying not to die, so I'll I give her a pass. She's, hey, she's beautiful. She's She shoots arrows better than anybody else probably, and she's super smart. I mean, she's the complete package. So, And if you go back and, I, I mean, to in, in all fairness to going back and watching interviews with her about this time period with Bill Murray in 1990, Talk about the charm. I mean, she is so charming. She's fun to watch in interviews. There's one, uh, I think, interview you can find on YouTube that she did, um, I don't know, you know, making the rounds with the talk shows, and Arsenio Hall was big at that time, so her and Bill Murray went on there. They, they have great chemistry. So uh, Randy Quaid as Loomis. <laughs> I mean, what Randy Quaid, <laughs> he does one movie and has one part, and I, f I feel like anytime He's you bring up Randy's – Randy Quaid, you're always going to National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Yep. Cousin Eddie. So he does. Shitter he, was full. Yes. He did that a year before Quick Change. And dude, if you go back and look at his filmography, this guy was working all the time. So, and I thought this was funny. So 1988, he does Caddyshack 2, Dead Solid Perfect, which is a television film. So he does two movies there. In 89, he does Christmas Vacation. Bloodhounds of Broadway, Out Cold, Parents, which is a great little independent horror film, and Texas film. He's, he's doing all that. Those all come out that year in 89. 
1990, he does Quick Change, Days of Thunder, Tom Cruise film, right? Martians Go Home and Cold Dog Soup. And that's just a sample of his whole filmography. I mean, if you especially look at this time period, this guy's cranking out like three or four movies. So per year, not three or four movies total, but like every year he's like, hey, uh, can I be in that film? Great. I'm going to be in that film. He's in everything. I have to tell you that one of my favorite Randy Quaid uh, performances is in Major League Two. He plays one of the guys out in the bleacher or one out in the on the stands who yells at the uh, Cleveland Indians that they suck. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> okay, it's pretty awesome. <laughs> there you go. Um, I, I guess somebody else we should talk about because they're a major player in Quick Change. You yeah. said that you go to one Randy Quaid performance and you go to Cousin Christmas vacation. Yes. Yeah. I always go to Independence Day. Really? That's my go-to. Yes. So yeah. hold on. His character in Independence Day, you think, is more culturally important and memorable Russell. than Russell. Cousin uh, Challenge. Absolutely not. Dude, he I'm helped save a, the planet. I'm throwing a flag on that. No. Uh, Russell, you're <laughs> – the guy goes, Russell, you're doing the wrong field. That's <laughs> no. one of my favorite lines. I okay. guarantee if we took a poll – we I know, listen, I know, I know. We'd go out there and we're like Randy Quaid and everybody would be like, shitter's full and be like, ooh, point for Troy. Nobody's bringing up Independence Day. Someone is bringing up Independence Day, damn it. Nobody is they bringing better. up Independence Day. Your knee-jerk reaction, like in society, you are programmed to go right to Christmas vacation. Science. That's science. Scientifically proven. Okay. 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 All right. Moving on. Jason Robards as Chief Rotzinger. This this was impressive. So Jason Robards received eight Tony Award nominations, and according to Wikipedia, where I get all my information, more than any other male actor as of 2020. This is impressive. Thank he, you for your service, Mr. Robards. Uh, by the way. Yep. Five Golden Globe nominations, and I I totally didn't know this. This next part here. He's received the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor for All the President's Men, 1976. Brilliant film. And then the next year, he won it. Same award for Julia in 1977. And then he was nominated for another Academy Award for his work in Melvin and Howard in 1980. So he wins the Best Supporting Actor Award back to back and then gets nominated Damn. a few years. I mean, that is impressive. I did not know that. I didn't need, I, I remember all the president's men and I know he, for some reason I had in my head that he got two nominations and won one, but he won two awards back to back. So he's nominated three times. He's a fantastic actor. If you go back and just look at all of his work and, and to be quite honest, I really haven't seen anything that he's done um, from a theater standpoint. I only know him from the movies and he's one of those guys that, I mean, as soon as he shows up in a film, it, it just, it kind of elevates it to a certain degree. I mean, he's, he's such a fantastic actor. I'm going to talk about these three names. I don't want to spend a lot of time with it because I think we're going to talk about it when we share thoughts on the film. But there are three surprises in Quick Change. And granted, these are before I think they're huge names. But you get Tony Shalhoub as the cab driver, Phil Hartman as Hal Edison, and Stanley Tucci as Johnny. So, and Stanley Tucci with hair, which yeah. is, it was... And Stanley Tucci now, I don't know if you, if you saw the article, I think he's 60 and somebody had wrote that he's getting this resurgence as a sex symbol and yes. his wife has been like posting on the social medias like oh wow we need to quit this crap out because i don't know i will co-sign that he is a sexy man well I, yes he's got that what italian show now where he's traveling around yeah. yep yeah yep. I, I hope i look that great at 60 i know i'm not 
because I'm not. I don't look that great at 38, Troy. I, so there's no hope for me at 60. I will agree with you on that. Although you've got that, <laughs> you've got that Ben Affleck dad bod going. So I'm just kidding. A <laughs> um, couple, couple of things on development and filming. So Ron Howard was approached about directing the film, but he turned it down. Uh, Ron thought that. He, there really wasn't anybody to root for. He didn't like the characters and he didn't think there was a hero per se. And, and I get yeah. that. I mean, when we yeah. talk about the film, there's, there's not exactly a good guy in it. Right. And then when original director, Jonathan Dem became unavailable writer, Howard Franklin and producer Bill Murray couldn't agree on who would be a good director for the project. So they decided to do the job themselves. And that's where Bill Murray kind of clowns around and says, Hey, everybody's complaining about I'm so hard to work for. So great. We'll just, I'll direct myself. A uh, couple other things. Studios were not flocking to fund the script. Murray was forced to use his own money as studios did not believe in the duo director's filming choice or their skills or talent. And here's... So when you watch interviews, everybody gives a lot of credit. Randy Quaid, Gina Davis, even Jason Robard say Bill Murray was a, a fantastic director. They really liked working with him. And there's a really good interview that Phil shared with us from Randy Quaid and Randy Quaid points out that he's worked with a lot of first-time directors, and he gave sort of Bill Murray an A+, said he was really good as a first-time director. But the shoot itself was problematic. So a couple of stories when you really dig deep. A local gang offered to be paid security when Bill Murray turned them down. All the camera equipment went missing, so the yeah, filming was I, I saw that story. I was like, well, okay. Yeah. Now you can't shoot no more. And, and I guess they were getting complaints or threats from local residents as they were filming, but at the same time, there was a heat wave going on when they're filming in those scenes. So uh, it just wasn't an uncomfortable shoot, and they had a lot of problems. But again, if you look at uh, everybody talking about the film, they had they, they loved working with Bill Murray. There was a scene where someone like got out of the car and like the their back of their shirt was like soaking wet, and I yes. was like, oh, it was must have been really hot. And then I saw that, and I was like, oh, it actually was like a hundred degrees that day. So yeah, so it was, it was a problem shoot, but I I guess with Bill Murray and Howard behind the camera, you know, working their magic, they got through it. And we come to the movie we're talking about tonight, which is 1990's Quick Change. So this was my pick, Brad. I have seen it. Like I said, when it came out, I was working in the movie theater. And this is one of those movies that um, I would pop in and out when certain scenes would come out. And I thought it was funny. Uh, and and I, I remember seeing it many times. I think I stole the movie poster and still have it when I left because we were supposed to send the posters back. And the ones, you know, that yeah, I they like, always go missing. They always go missing. They're, they're in my basement right now. So I'm going to start with you. This is a first time watch for you, right? Absolutely. Yep. Okay. And you're a huge Bill Murray fan. So I'm super curious about this one. What, what's your initial thoughts on quick change? Yeah. So I'm always in for a heist movie of any kind, you know, you rob a bank in the first five minutes of a movie I'm in. Um, even if the stakes in this don't seem to be very high. And it's a weird heist movie too, because the the heist takes place in the first like half an hour. And then the, the next hour is just them kind of escaping. Um, you know, so it's, it's a little weird. Usually like you're leading up to the heist and the heist is the end is the climax. This is, it's at the very beginning. So you're kind of getting a little bit of a weird side of pacing thing because the most action is at the very beginning of the movie. And then it kind of peters off as you go, but you know, it's a real easy breezy film. Like it's kind of not offensive in a way you just kind of watch it and it, and it's, you know, you got to get a few good laughs and 
you get Bill Murray like being kind of sarcastic, but you still kind of like him, even though he's not a likable guy. Like I'm not rooting for him, but I don't know. Like I'd hang out with him and <laughs> you'd rob a bank with him. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and like the, the, the bank heist and, and how it plays out, if you kind of examine it under any sort of kind of scrutiny, like the probability of them getting away is close to zero, but that's okay. But I, 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 I like this movie. I don't want to say quite a bit, but you know, it's, it's like 90 minutes you're in and out and, you get to see three people that I find to be pretty funny together. Um, it's, it's also funny. Um, you know, I'm looking back on this on 2021 and he walks into a bank and one of the customers is Randy Quaid with a beard and like a weird wig. And then Gina Davis has like a blonde wig on and you're like, okay, they're in on it because those are the other two people. So, you know, you can kind of see this movie now looking back and, and, kind of know how it plays out exactly and i was right the whole entire time but even take giving that you know a pass i i enjoyed it quite a bit it, it's funny you're you're absolutely right the beginning with gina davis wearing that weird wig i think she has braces on or something else like that e- even with her wearing a costume and within the crowd she still stands out because she's stunning so uh and, and randy quaid he looks like randy quaid with a beard uh, red beard uh, my my initial reaction when I first saw it is first of all it you start the movie with a clown so my immediate reaction it's a horror movie. Yeah, I was going to ask you how you've dealt with the clown in this movie. <laughs> it's, my fear of clowns it, it when he is on the subway in the beginning. I, I kind of like how the movie starts where you get this great image, great sort of classic song playing, and then you kind of pull back and you find out you're not looking at New York City, you're looking at a picture of New York City in a subway, and then you see a clown on a subway. I can tell you right now that was always a little unnerving to me and it's it does i'm i'm not totally on board until the point where he's walking he kind of comes out of the subway adjusts his tie and i'm like okay it's kind of funny how he has to it's a funny clown yeah and and he's got balloons he's walking by the strip club and the guys out there barking (laughs) like live new girls new girls and he's like clowns welcome clowns welcome (laughs) so from then on i'm i'm kind of into it but i i gotta say the thing I've always liked about this film is that a lot of movies are, are I don't know, created or designed to celebrate New York City. And I know this isn't a real popular director or actor to talk about, but a classic example is anything that Woody Allen did. I mean, especially in the 70s, early 80s, he, he loves New York City. So if you look at stuff like Manhattan, Annie Hall, I mean, New York City is a huge character, not just in his films, but in a lot of different movies out there. And you see that city just being celebrated for for just being, you know, the Big Apple. Yep. And I always find it to be a fascinating character in a film. I mean, the French Connection with Gene Hackman has a fantastic car chase through New York City. And, you know, as much of the action, as much of the characters that are go on in the French Connection, I mean, New York City is, is a big character in that film. But this one's really interesting because it really wants you to see all the problems with the city and its people and i think it's even more interesting considering it comes after 1989's ghostbusters 2 with bill murray which has a premise about the negativity of the city creating this toxic slime underneath so i i don't know what it is i, I feel like bill murray must have had a really bad it's experience a river of living slime. There. yeah Sorry. 
he's, I don't know what it is about living in the Big Apple or visiting or whatever it is. If he, you know, just lost his luggage, ate a bad hot dog, got mugged, spent, spent a, I don't know, got trapped in a hotel convention full of insurance sales. I, I don't know what it is, but I find it interesting that this movie is just the most anti New York city movie you can come across. And I, I think that's kind of funny. Um, this is, this is one of the interviews that uh, our, our listener and good friend Philip had sent over. Bill Murray once said of this movie in an interview, everyone will enjoy this movie, but New Yorkers will enjoy it, especially because they know how bad their city really is. Yeah. I, yeah. And, and just to give you an example of some of the dialogue in this film, and I, I chuckled when I heard this, they're trying to get on that airplane, and the flight attendant says, do you think you're late enough? And Bill Murray's response is, oh, you must be from around here. <laughs> so, I, and and you get a sense, again, the things that are going on in the city, you get guys hanging up a new sign and they're yelling at the women in the window. They're of no help, but they're proud, you know, at the end of the conversation that they're not helping anybody. You get Phil Hartman pulling a gun on them in their own apartment and then talking about the yeah. subleasing and, and you get all the strange people on the bus, but this movie is, is crazy. Oh, because- don't forget about the cab driver who, conveniently can't speak english yes but it's 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 i don't know it's like the anti-new york and i like that i i like that type of comedy i like that type of setup and i think that's actually interesting so just this city is a character in the film in and of itself and it plays into like you said the the first 30 minutes are really about the bank robbery but the rest of the movie is about them dealing with this city well, the goal of them stealing money isn't to be rich. It's to get the hell out of New York. Yeah. That's their whole premise. They want to leave the city and never come back. Yeah, and I, I, I find that interesting because yeah, yeah. They, they, get, they, they lose their luggage. They get robbed by somebody from Idaho. <laughs> that, uh, Do you know who that guy is? No. Have you seen Spotlight? The... The, the, the Catholic, the Catholic yeah. Church? Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. So that. he is the... A lawyer that Michael Keaton is like buddies with who they play golf together. And he's the one that ends up like confirming all the names. Um, I really like spotlight. And when I saw that, I was like, Oh yeah, that's that guy from spotlight. So sorry. No, it's well, I mean, you, you get, you get some great character acting going. I believe he was in Sully too. So there's your Clint Eastwood sort of deal. Right. Did Clint Eastwood do Sully or was that Ron Howard? I we have to, we, we've got this thing called the internet. We can research. I'm not it. gonna. I'm not. I'm gonna, not even, we're just gonna make a mistake. If we're it's gonna go out there and say Jackie Chan did it. Okay. How's that? Um, but you you touched on something. I mean, the story's pretty basic. It's three people rob a bank and are trying to get to the airport. That's the whole thing. And on the way there, I mean, they're just meeting a bunch of New Yorkers who are preventing their escape. And the two films that come to mind are not really two films, but the first film that comes to mind. I don't know if you've ever seen it is in 1985, Martin Scorsese did this film called After Hours? Of course, yes. Okay. It's Scorsese. <laughs> it's Scorsese, okay. It, it has that element, but it's also mixed in with the Marx Brothers. I think it's a combination of Scorsese's After Hours, and it's got these elements of the Marx Brothers with its dialogue and sort of zaniness, and it works for me. I, I think it works big time. Um, the bank heist is far-fetched, and... <laughs> However, I, I think it, that is used to highlight the incompetency of the New York Police Department 
but again, you get these little commentaries of New York where you get like the two hot dog vendors who are rushing to sell hot dogs to the crowd and take advantage of what's going on. Yeah. And, and the crowd is like cheering for everything, you know, the, all of a sudden there's just a big crowd of people at a bank robbery and you know, it, it's more than an event than anything. So yeah. And, and I think that they might as I, well be like a Yankees game, you know, one <laughs> yeah. of those deals. It, it's just, it's an indictment on all the New Yorkers and it does this fantastic, I don't know, blend of that Scorsese film and Marx Brothers, and and it's great. And I think, I think you get a wide range of humor too. It goes from subtle, like right at the beginning where he's passing by the strip club and they're yelling "clowns welcome," all the way to the slapstick, right? So Randy Quaid jumping out of a moving cab and and running into a newspaper stand. So the the dialogue, I, I don't know about you, but I want to start here. The dialogue, I think, is where this thing really shines, and Bill Murray specifically and his sarcastic humor. But this is to me where the Marx brothers feel come in because it's you, that quick. You, you kind of have to be okay with sarcastic humor. Yes. Um, and, and it's a little, not dark, but it hinges on dark. I mean, he's a little bit of like a troubled character in this movie for sure. Yeah. Um, the definitely the city has gotten to him to the point where he's either going to rob this bank or eat a bullet. I, I feel like, you know, it's going to be one of those two. Yeah, I, I agree. So here's some of the lines I wrote down that I thought were funny. The bank card, what the hell kind of clown are you? Bill Murray, the crying on the inside kind, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that that made me laugh or when he's dealing with Jason Robards on the phone and Robards is trying to negotiate with him and says, at least give me the women. And his response is, get your own women. To me, that's <laughs> that's right out of Groucho Marx's um, sort of mentality. Well, you know, I know like nowadays, um, like Judd Apatow films, like there's really not a script. They just kind of riff like that to me, that line right there where he says, get your own women feels like an improv line that like Bill Murray probably made up. I don't, I doubt that was probably in the script. It's just I one of those know. things where he's, yeah, it could be, but he, he just has that Groucho, Groucho Marx wit to him and some of his responses. And, and I think it works great. I mean, there's that. Let me whole, ask you, yeah. let me ask you a quick question because yeah. a lot of the, like, when I was watching the Cisco and Ebert thing on this movie and, yes. and a few other things, they show the beginning part. So the security guy is coming out to the door and he's locking the door and he, you know, he gets in the Bill Murray then gets in. He walks in there. There's like a bank full of people. So was the security guard locking everyone in the bank? Well, I, th I think he's locking it so that people aren't coming in, but he's going to let people out when they're done. Uh, okay. You worked All in right. a bank and that would happen. Yeah. Usually, yeah. You should yeah. know this. You should go, oh, yeah, we'd that's have what a they do. We'd have a security guard, so. did you? Oh, okay. Well, I love the security guard telling the story, and as the movie goes on, he's talking. Pull the Bowie knife on me. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and it, it's that stuff you got to pay attention to. I, I don't know. It's the dialogue that makes this rewatchable to a certain extent, because as many times as I've seen it, there's always some line that happens in the background, um, and especially some of the exchanges come pretty fast. you got to pay attention. Yeah, I feel like this movie would definitely be one of those, what they call like a rewatchable film, like uh, like ones that you kind of get better with viewing or whenever, like if, if this was on and if this was 1992 and this movie just comes on TV and it's 45 minutes in, it's like, okay, well, I'm sitting down and watching the rest of this movie because, you know, it's just that rewatchable um, I don't care what it comes in or when I see it, I'm going to finish it regardless, or I want to at least see it to get to this scene or this scene. So this is definitely one of those movies where 
um, A, it gets better with multiple viewings because like you said, there's these little subtle jokes that aren't like main dialogue, but they're kind of in the background. And then, you know, there's other scenes like later on in the movie that I would like to re-see um, again. So it's definitely like a rewatchable type movie. I agree. I, I was going to ask you this question. So there's a lot of comedies that come out. Judd, Judd Apatow is a, a good example. I, I think he does a great job of taking drama and blending it with good comedy. But this movie is consistently funny. Now, I'm not just tears in my eyes. Yeah, it's not rolling on the floor laughing sort of deal. I Yeah, but I, I do feel I'm constantly chuckling and laughing out loud at some major points. But I'm always smiling. I'm always laughing. And for a movie where, the you know, Ron Howard says there's nobody to root for. And I kind of agree with that. Everybody's just trying to get out of the city. Even Jason Robards, you know, makes the comment that the only thing they have going for them as cops is that, you know, Bill Murray and, and his crew get mired down in the stuff that they have to deal with. So there's not per se a good guy. People are taking advantage or being opportunistic. But this is a comedy that you laugh through the whole thing. And so I miss these kind of films. I feel like comedies anymore have to go for the big laughs, the big psych. And I got to ask you, was, was it like something about Mary? Was that the movie that all of a sudden you get that one scene where, oh, no, that's hair gel, right? I mean, and yes. everybody's talking about the scene. Or so the Franks above the beans. Yeah. Or the... I yeah. Was yeah. it the Farley the Brothers? about the Frank, sorry. Yeah, I, I mean, was it was that the moment in in Hollywood comedies where everybody was kind of going after that big laugh? And did was, 1998 change comedy forever? Yes, it did. I, I don't know. I'm just, I. what happened to the films where they were just consistently funny? What was the last film you can remember that you just, you weren't like walking away going, well, there's this one scene that I laughed a lot, but you just you really had a good time throughout. Black Sheep. Well, Okay. Nothing recent? Oh, I thought you were talking about like that era of stuff. No, um, just like what recently? I was trying, I'm racking my hmm. brain on this and I'm like, I, there's good action films with comedy in it. There's good horror movies with comedies. But when, when was the last comedy that came out that was just kind of consistently funny? Hmm. That's a good question. Nothing pops to mind. Well, yeah, because like you said, you know, Judd Apatow movies, A, they're two and a half hours long. Right. And, and they feel you know, two and a half hours long. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's a good question. You know, like Hangover is really funny, but it's going for that kind of thing you're 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 saying where there's it's the big psych, the big moment. Yep, yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, yeah, that's kind of depressing in a way that well, yeah, it, comedy has changed. Well, and and I'm sure there's something out now. There. I'm sad. <laughs> well, but I'm I'm trying to think about where's the the scripts that are funny. And, and maybe they're pedestrian in terms of story, plot, et cetera, but they're just delivering constant laughs. And, and I'm not talking like the Adam Sandler stuff. I mean, that that's your juvenile slapstick. You know what? This is You're going to laugh at me and say I'm wrong, but I think a movie that's really funny all the way through is Crazy Sexy Love or Crazy Stupid Love. Sorry. Yeah. No, that that's a good example. I think that one is consistently funny throughout it's as really well. It's really funny. Yeah. And my, we just rewatched that, you know, and it's like – really funny all the way through, but it's like not trying and you know, yeah, yeah, that's it. That's it, Troy. We're, we got it. <laughs> we got it. <laughs> well, it's, it's funny. Cause I, I saw nobody today, the Bob Odenkirk film, which I got to say is, is fantastic. But what was 
great about that is it's the introduction of comedy within that action film. And so as much as Cameron and I are in the, are in the movie theater high-fiving at every time somebody's getting kicked in the face or, you know, thrown out a window, it's, it's genuinely pretty funny. But revisiting Quick Change this week, I had so much fun watching this to the point where I went back and, and watched uh, a Marx Brothers film, The Coconuts. And I miss, I miss those type of, of films where they're just consistently funny. We, we just, I can't think of any recently outside of the one, you know, Crazy Stupid Love you thought about. I mean, was, when was the last really good, funny movie you watched that came out in yeah. the last two years? Oh, yeah. I was going to say, because like Bride, Bridesmaids is really funny, but again, it's got those high, you know, it's going for those psych eggs too. I mean, a woman takes a shit in, in a sewer while wearing a, you know, a wedding dress. So, <laughs> right. you know, it's got those moments too. Um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, the rise of the rated R comedy has kind of really hurt that in a way to kind of though what was this movie rated was this a rated r movie oh that's a good choice it did man i'd be they surprised did say if it f was and there was i thought maybe it would have had to have been um but of I, course now it's like i couldn't find what it was oh yeah i i don't know i mean that's a good question i think it was and i can't find you know what when i try and look up this stuff it just doesn't go right <laughs> to the rating <laughs> you're like <laughs> metacritic 856 i don't know it yeah it, who knows so i thought it would have been r but you know i don't know possibly so let's talk about the performances i mean hands down bill murray center of attention here right yep i mean honestly if his performance sucks or if it's somebody else this movie is probably not as good i agree 100 percent. well I, I would add to that it's his performance, but the other thing that I think has to work is his chemistry with Gina Davis and Randy Quaid. Yeah, yeah. Though I never could figure out what Loomis and what was her name. Uh, he was grim. Uh, Phyllis. Phyllis. Phyllis and Loomis, what was their relationship? I, I think their relationship is just the connection of Grimm. So Grimm is dating Phyllis. And Graham okay. and Loomis went to school together, so I, she was awfully. I thought he that was her like little brother or something. The way she like let him lay on her lap, and he would like she would like you know caress his head and stuff. It was like a weird relationship. But anyway, sorry I, that that was one of the question marks I had at the end of the movie. It was like, <laughs> are they brother and sister? Like, what is this? But um, no, you're right. Those three people have to kind of gel. And their chemistry has to be on point because you're with them 95% of the movie. And you kind of have to believe a little bit that they like want this to come together. And these weird, unfortunate events could happen and they could figure their way out of it as well. Yeah. It's, it's a weird performance that Bill Murray has to pull off. So he, he has to, first of all, present that he's smart enough to come up with a plan like this and cover all the bases. Right. So they're missing the first flight and he books a second flight as backup. And, you know, he's, he's got all these things taken care of, but he can't come off as like a mastermind evil bank robbing genius because that might lose some of his charm and wit. I don't know. To me, this feels like if Bill Murray were going to rob a bank, this is how Bill Murray would do it. And this is how Bill Murray would act doing it. I think. I don't know. Maybe he did rob a bank and they just filmed it. I, don't know. <laughs> I was telling you, man, the 
the bank stuff in this movie is uh it doesn't hold a lot of water what is so wrong about it i i no it's just like a a bank in new york city they would have silent alarms as soon as that clown walked in there and asked for money everyone is hitting the silent alarm i thought they did the silent alarm no No. i mean the cops would be there in two minutes and then he shoots out the cameras like 10 minutes later. It's like, they already got you on camera. <laughs> and then like, and guess what you don't get to do if you're in a hostage situation and they let you out is just walk away. You can't just walk away from a crime scene without the cops kind of containing you for a little bit. Okay. Trust me. All right. You and your okay. logic. Okay. Oh, <laughs> well, so Going through the performance, you got Randy Quaid. I, I feel like he's he's the zany character, right? But he's he's taking cousin Eddie and making him a man child. Yeah, I, I, he almost and I don't know how you felt. He almost gets on your nerves. No, he does. But he does. I, I think they're smart enough to pull away from him and then concentrate on Gina Davis or Bill Murray, just when he he almost gets to the last part of it. But you know him sitting in the cab, staring at Tony. <laughs> the cab driver and just that fear on his face. I mean, he's, he's, he just wears all these expressions and I do laugh the entire time. But again, I, I still think he's really good in it. I think he has good chemistry. And then you get to Gina Davis. Uh, we, I know you don't like her in Cutthroat Island, but this is the type of movie that I think she exceeds in. I mean, she's charming. She's likable. Um, she plays off Murray and Quaid so well. The baby subplot, there's not much for her to do there. But that was really dumb. That was really dumb. But the the thing of it is, this is why Gina Davis, I think, is so good. She takes these small parts and always delivers a a solid performance. Even with a script that, you know, really doesn't have a lot for her to do, she still has that charm and does the best she can with what's there. And she, I mean, there's no denying, she shines in comedies and dramas, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I feel like her character switches back and forth a little bit too quickly and conveniently as the story needs her to. Um, but it's fun. And and like you said, she is very good and charming. And her chemistry with Bill Murray is leaps and bounds more than her and Matthew Modine. I'll, um, I'll agree with you there. Yes. Thank you. Okay. I, I win. So I would have liked to have seen Bill Murray in Cutthroat <laughs> Island doing all those stunts. Actually – Better movie. Yeah, I think so. Jason Robards, he, he's the straight man of the film. He He's really good being frustrated, and that's all he is during this entire film. He's, he's tracking him down. He plays frustrated. I, I love that line of all we've got going for us is the city. Our only hope is they're mired down in the same shit that you and I have to wait through every day. He sells that line so well, and he truly believes it. But the person that sticks out to me and – call oh great you're not supposed to laugh at this because it's the stereotypical cab driver and everything else but tony shalhoub is a scene stiller i love him getting out of the cab and crying and trying to confess to the police that he thinks he killed randy quaid and that other scene when he's trying to describe a bus and he makes that honk noise after being beaten up for whatever reason that makes me laugh out loud when he when he honk but he's fantastic in this, and he's just got yeah. that small part. Yeah, I know. I just – it's it, Again, we were doing the cab drivers can't speak English kind of trope in movies. But if you think about it, like if a 
cab driver can't speak English and can't take you where you want to go. It's not a good cab driver. So well, know, name, name another performance. Cab driver doesn't speak English. That is better than Tony Shalhoub. I don't think you can do it. That's a good. Okay. Yeah. He's, I, I mean, I, I can't think of any right off the top of my head. If there is so. an award for that, Tony wins it. Stanley Tucci's good in his little part. I mean, the, the movies compose these just vignettes, right? The the bus driver guy is fantastic where he's just. Exact. Correct change. Yeah. And, and even that whole exchange where he's like, well, how long is it going to take us to get there? And then when, you know, well, how long will it take to walk? Well, that guy in that condition, I can't give an exact thing. And he's like, but, you know, guess he's like, well, 21 minutes. <laughs> so, <laughs> there, there's all these little bit characters. And well, parts. how close? 4.8 miles yeah. or 0.48 miles. miles. Yeah. But it's, it's all those little things that stand out in, you know, Phil Hartman is okay, but I, I love these little support. I could have, I could have used a little bit more Phil Hartman. I'm not going to lie. When I see him in a movie, you know, I, I want to see Phil Hartman be Phil Hartman. So oh, I agree, but that, I mean, I would like to follow Tony Shalhoub around in his cab, make a movie of that. And he, he's pretty funny, but that's why I like about this, the Stanley Tucci thing uh when he's looking at randy quaid realizing that he got thrown out of a car too and they're both staring at each other it's all those little moments that make me laugh and and i know from a plotting perspective it the the only thing it's all a little convenient for everyone that it all works out and all this stuff it is and the only thing that sticks out so you gravitate to the bank uh not being realistic or believable the thing that I'm always like, are you kidding me? Is when the bus driver says you have like a minute and 15 seconds to come back and he has to go walk across the street, get changed. That's like a four minute sequence. Yeah, it's a four minute scene. Like is, you're just like this time is way up, way up. Yeah. So that guy wasn't, a, the bus driver wasn't as exact as he wanted to be. But Did we talk about Kurtwood Smith in this movie as well? Kurtwood Smith. He is the big bad at the end. Oh, uh, from RoboCop in that 70s show. That's right. No, we haven't talked about him yet. Dude, yeah. when he shows up on screen, though, can he play anything but He's a asshole? villain. He's a villain. Yeah. Anytime. His he's face a is built for that. And when he talks, he's just like, ooh, that guy. But you love to hate him. Yeah. He's also in Broken Arrow, too, Troy. Yeah. But you, he, whatever role he's in, you don't trust him. He just He's built for that villain, don't trust me. Although on that 70s show is really good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'll take your word on that. You never watched it? I didn't really watch a whole lot of like network TV really at that four, four thirty, five o'clock slot. Oh, okay. So, All right. Yeah. Well, what else, man? I mean, this is a, this is not a film that you're going to go deep on. I, no, oh, I do want to ask you. So one of the things about this movie that reminds me of Scorsese's after hours is all the WTF moments. They, they just pop out of nowhere. So the first one that comes to mind is the two guys jousting on bicycles. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like the Mexican standoff sort of deal. Yeah, and they, they stand there and they watch, and you get like this, I don't know, two, three-minute sequence of these two guys on bicycles jousting. And it leads jousting. to nothing, but it's just like, okay. Yeah, it's kind of it's funny. You're laughing at it, but you're like, what the heck's going on? Another thing. Surely, that, surely that'll come back around at some point in time. <laughs> no, not at <laughs> yeah. all. And then the other thing is, and I, I never notice it until this view. So Bill Murray in the clown outfit is talking to everybody in the bank vault. And then he takes the bank branch manager and holds his hand and guides him out. 
And then later on, Jason Robards holds his partner's hand later in the scene and guides him to another room. Did you catch that? I, I saw Bill Murray hold the one guy's hand, but I didn't see the second part. Yeah, Jason. So. Jason it, again, I don't – there's little sequences that I think are designed to make Jason Robards and Bill Murray more in sync as characters – you know, they both hate the city or something of that nature. And I didn't yeah. know if the hand thing, you know, when they're commenting on the building, like Jason Robart's talking about, hey, they're tearing this down, et cetera. Bill Murray makes mention of a building. So I think the intent of the script, and it's not very deep, is that the Jason Robards character seems to have the same distaste for the city that Bill Murray does to a certain degree. And You're you, correct. Yes. Yeah, you yes. get the hand holding. And then the other thing, which I think is funny, but it's it's just so weird, is the hippie guitarist who's trying to get on the bus, but he can't get on the bus because his guitar, he keeps, he doesn't know to walk sideways. And then he jumps on the side of the bus. That really doesn't go anywhere. Nope. And then the blind $6,000 though. Yeah, he does. And then the blind women selling flowers at night on a street corner, yelling flores para la mortes. Yeah. Flowers for the dead. Dead. Yeah. Day of the dead stuff. Isn't that what that is referencing to? I Have don't you ever know. seen Coco I, before Troy? Uh, no, I haven't seen that yet. Mm. Good yeah it is it is um i also like the the snobby guy that's ends up having to give up his watch he wants to get let out so he says hey this is my thirteen thousand dollar watch you know i just want you to have it in good faith or whatever the, oh, the snobby him, guy yeah, and he gives him his time oh apparently yeah. that watch uh shows up in scrooged it is yeah, like that, a twelve thousand dollar watch or something that yeah. bill murray has you a watch guy Am you like watches watch yeah, I, I used to until I got my Apple Watch, and now, yeah, that thing like controls me. Same. Dings no, I was. I was never. Else. I was never a watch guy. But would you pay you know. twelve? I mean, you, uh, let's say you made that kind of money. Would Would you pay twelve thousand dollars? Absolutely not. No. Okay. No. no. At all. What 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 if it had like some Star Wars thing in it? You've seen those Star Wars watches that? Yeah, I've seen. Even then, no. No. Okay. I'm still fiscally responsible, even if I have a lot of money. Uh, that's that's why you're the brains, man. If I had that's that kind of money and there was a Boba <laughs> Fett, well, I'd buy it instantly. <laughs> um, no, I, the, the WTF moments, I think, add something to this film. I don't know what it is, but I feel like it just kind of shocks your brain for a minute and makes you pay attention so that you're going, okay, what's going to happen with the two guys holding brooms, jousting on a bicycle? Like, that's going to pop up somewhere. And I don't know if that's what they were going for. For me, it's effective because I every time I see it, I go. And as many times I've seen it, when I watched it again, I was like, oh, yeah, what what does that mean? Where does that pay off? It doesn't, but it makes me pay attention to what's going on. Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit like, uh-oh, it's random. But it's funny. Like, the guy's jousting is really funny. It is it's pretty really funny. I would like to kind of know. I don't know. Give me a short film on what happens after that or what caused yeah, them the to joust. Yeah. What's the backstory, the backstory of jousting? What did the guy win? Was the other guy sacrificed after that or? I don't know. That one lady was like standing over him, uh, just disappointed. That yeah, he, he was lost. murdered probably. Oh, probably. Yeah. But no, I, I like those little elements. It, it adds to the, again, that after hours feel the zaniness of the city and, and provides, you know, the city as a, as a character that's participating in this film as much as Randy Quaid, Gina Davis and Bill Murray. Yeah, have you been to New York before? Yeah, I've act, uh, well, living on the East Coast. I actually got to go to New York the first time a couple of years ago. Took a train up there, and it is it, getting out in Penn Station was overwhelming. 
but I love it. Yeah, it's it's funny because like you see like all the scaffolding and they're like doing buildings like in 1990. They're still doing the same exact thing in New York now. I was there, you know, somewhat recently, but it's like, yeah, it's all the same. Still the same. Okay, so I'll, I'll tell you a New York story. I'm going to embarrass myself. First time I go, take a train up there. It's for work. Get there that night and check into the hotel. And the hotel, I mean, it's an older hotel, but the hallway, I mean, I, you can barely fit through it, right? You get to the room, and it was a nice part of New York. So open the windows, and I'm like, wow, this is a cool view. I mean, look at the buildings. It's at night. I got to you know, go to this office for work the next day. So I call Tabitha and I'm talking to her and I'm talking, man, this view is fantastic. And there's this, there's this gorgeous building in front of me and it looks cool. And she's like, oh, well, let me see. So I'm like, all right, well, let's FaceTime. And I'm like, I don't know what this building is, but man, it looks really cool lit up. And I show it to her and she's like, you idiot, that's the Empire State Building. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> so, Good job. Yeah. Only like the most famous building of all time. But yeah, yeah well, I was right outside my window and I didn't even know what it was. But yeah, that's, that's the... Uh, <laughs> that's that's my first trip to New York City looking at the Empire State Building and not knowing what kind of cool building that was. Yeah, so do you like the format of this movie? Like the heist at the beginning, escape at the escape. I use escape as like a kind of escape. I mean, it's at a snail's pace they're escaping, but do you like having like the big set piece at the beginning of a movie and then the repercussions afterwards? It's a weird kind of pace for a movie, especially a heist movie. It is, and I think that's why I like this film, because it's just different. It so, is different, so yeah. to your point, you usually get a film that celebrates a city like this, and you don't in this one. And also, to your point, you might get something like the bank heist, where that becomes the center of the film, and the heist is sort of the big payoff at the end. Yeah, then they have one more job they have to do. and then Yeah, and it, I like the fact that the heist occurs, and really the focus of this entire film is this just getting out of the city. And and I think that's what they were going for was it's it's the journey, not the destination, right? So it's all the things that is happening to all these three characters and how they react to it that makes this movie funny. I mean, the bank heist is great, but let's be honest, how much comedy can you get out of that scenario you, you've got to get out of that setting. And then when you get into the city, I think it's, again, you get the WTF moments, the eccentric, you know, people that they're interacting with. You get these great comedic performances from Tony and Stanley and all these other folks. Uh, and when you get to the, uh, I don't know, the, the big payoff at the end, which is on the airplane, it's, it's I don't know, it's not really climactic. But it's just a resolution. Yeah. The ending was, do you say anticlimactic? It was like, it's a strange ending because all of a sudden, like, the mob guy's there that you've never really Conveniently, met. Yeah. 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 It's all a little convenient. But, you know, they've had this like weird series of unfortunate events and then something kind of works out for them. And, and it kind of works that way because you're yeah. like, yeah, they've had all this bad luck. Now they deserve something good to happen i'm I, trying you, to think you can't really dissect this thing from a plot or story i mean you can see the twists and turns coming from a mile away oh, yes, and i, I yes. don't think that's again i would go back to like a marx brothers film or something of that nature the emphasis is on the dialogue the zaniness of it it's you're you're not going to these films for a twist and turn story or are they going to make it out Do, they're going to make it out it, just you walk into this film going 
everybody's going to live happily ever after, even though these aren't the most likable characters, everybody's going to make it out fine. But it's the whole journey and everything they run into that makes this just kind of a, a treat to watch. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, you're right. When I was thinking about wondering <laughs> if there's ever going to be any sort of suspense, that's pretty much thrown out the door as soon as the three characters are together and she's kind of hinting that she's having a baby. You're like, oh, okay. Everything's going to work out just yeah, fine. you know where this is going. I mean, yep. I guess yep. the suspense is what is the next random person are they going to meet or when is yeah, the what? next WTF moment? That That's where your suspense lies is what are they going to run into because the city is against them. So, And you're going to know, like, after that, like, clown scene where he walks by the peep show place. <laughs> yeah. Like, if you don't laugh at that, you should probably turn it off. Right. That's you're going to know within the first five minutes, like if that's not what you're in for and that's not your type of comedy, you should probably duck out because it's about that for the rest of the movie. Yeah. And I, I like the fact that it, the zaniness is contained to a certain degree. I mean, it's yeah. not in your face all you the time. You say zaniness, like it's nothing. Yes. Like two guys, Jesse Soto with broomsticks, but that sounds kind of, zany, but it's kind of tame and like, 2021 sort of deal you it know is. like it's 1990s zaniness zany, it's, it's yes. your randy quaid i mean randy quaid provides i guess that wild card aspect and he's he's good like i said he he almost gets annoying but he was pretty close he was close they they did a good job of kind of pulling back from him and then going to something else but you do get these sort of outbursts of physical slapstick comedy but it's it's not just rampant throughout the whole thing. That's what I like about it. You get a really good pace of all of this range of comedy. You get the subtle there's a, jokes. There's a nice restraint to a lot of this stuff. There is, and and you get Bill Murray being Bill Murray throughout the entire film, and it, he's fun. He's he's enjoyable. I I am amazed that not enough people talk about this film. I mean, he's got a fantastic filmography. Don't get me wrong, but Quick Change to me is one of those films that if you're a huge Bill Murray fan and you haven't seen this film, you're doing yourself a disservice because he directs it, he produced it, and you get Bill Murray wit and charm throughout the entire thing. Yeah, I, again, I think if Bill Murray didn't make a movie after 1995, maybe people would be talking about this more. Uh, but he's got work that's almost going on 50 years now, so from oh, yeah. the 70s to now. So, you know... It gets lost in the shuffle, but it's unfairly lost because the movie basically is is a showpiece for him as an actor and as someone who can carry a film um, like he does in Groundhog Day and, you know, all the, you know, the ones that we covered, like he's carrying those movies. You see it here. Definitely like on point. Yeah, I'll say this. Maybe maybe I need to go back and watch Groundhog Day before I say it, but, you know. Screw it, I'm going to say it. I find this more enjoyable than Groundhog Day. Groundhog Day has a great premise, but I don't remember laughing as much at Groundhog Day as I did on this one. This, to me, was a bit more consistent. Now, there's some very funny moments in Groundhog Day, especially in the beginning when he just is going through, you know, like, uh, he, he goes through, like, the craziness and killing himself and all the other stuff. Yeah. That's funny. But there is a point in Groundhog Day where I don't think the laughs, they kind of peter out because they're more concentrating on the romance part part of it with Andy McDowell. And, and don't get me wrong. Yeah, the, Gra the idea runs, you know, it, 
it runs it gets pretty old quick yeah. to me. It's still a great film, don't get me wrong, but I just find this one I, I think like you said, it's light and breezy. It's 88, 89 minutes or something of that yep. nature. And I'm constantly laughing throughout the whole thing. I, yeah, it's, I really it's enjoy it. Like it's inoffensive. Like it 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 will wash right over you if you don't really care. You know, it'll be it'll wash over you, you'll be done. But you'll be happy you watched it. Oh, I agree. It does. It doesn't have the concept that Groundhog Day has, or the originality, or that that might be a good story or interesting story. This one isn't there. You're not coming here for the story. You're coming here for the dry Bill Wit or Bill Murray wit and humor with a little bit of slapstick mixed in, and and it just works from start to finish. I'm constantly smiling. Yeah, this is never going to be something that I'm going to say. Oh, that's one of my favorite movies or one of my favorite heist movies. But I do like the a. It's a different type of heist movie. Um, it's got a different sort of cadence to it. Um, so it stands out within that heist movie crowd, if you will. Yeah, it's it's good comfort food. Cinema comfort food. Yeah, I like it. Well, anything else you want to talk about on this one? No, I mean we can't really talk longer than movies are about the movie so we're, <laughs> we're getting there so yeah all right well i'm gonna ask you the question this was my pick uh episode 42 quick change from 1990 uh, so a listener pick so brad i'm gonna ask you is is quick change a bomb it is not a bomb um if you are a fan of bill murray and you're like me and you never heard of this movie uh do yourself a favor uh give it a watch like we noted i mean it's it's a heist movie it's 90 minutes and there are some pretty uh, funny parts for sure. I agree. I, I'm, I'm with you 100%. It's a pure anti-New York movie with a lot of sarcastic humor. I, I think it's funny from start to finish. It's definitely one of Bill Murray's bright spots in his career. I think it's overlooked. I think everybody should check it out if you haven't seen it. And again, it's it's a breezy 89 minutes. It makes me laugh. And and like you said, if this thing is on, I'm going to watch it. Uh, it it's, it's good. I'm, I'm so glad we tackled this one. So yeah, thank you for the recommendation, Philip. Big time, and thank you for sending all the videos too. With I mean, the if you guys really want to go down a little bit of a rabbit hole and look at the press release and the stuff that everybody was doing uh, when this film came out, um, there's some good stuff out there. And Philip kind of sent us a bunch of things, and and I had a lot of fun just going and watching them talk about the film uh, on the press tour. So yeah, and one of the movies. I, the, one of the, after I was done watching it, it was a Cisco and Ebert review of this movie. So that was fun too. Yeah. That was, and I think I posted that on one of our social medias. So, oh yeah, yeah you did. Yeah. Cisco was not a big fan of it. He uh, liked Bill Murray. Ebert, I, I think gave this one a thumbs up and enjoyed it more. Yep. Yep. Okay. Again, well, they both agreed on, you know, Bill Murray, but yeah, I, I think it's universal. Everybody who comes across this, nobody can deny how good Bill Murray is in this. He's fantastic. All right, Brad, so we got episode 43 coming up. That is an odd number. That makes it your pick. So I'm, I'm curious what you're going to pull out of the hat on this one because we've we've done pretty good of going, again, pretentious art house. Now we come to mainstream comedy. Where are we going next, man? We're saying kind of pretentious, buddy. Oh, yeah. Uh, we're going to the 2006 film. It is called The Fall. I will not give any thing away on it, but I will say it has one of the worst uh, return on investments we've done. So um, yeah, it's pretty bad. I, I, I own it. It's sitting in yeah, the so watch you pile. Do. I we have, all know you. I haven't, I have never seen it. So I'm curious. Yeah. It gives me, it gives me a reason to go down there and pull it out of the to watch pile. 
our buddy Jose will be happy. Um, I believe the main character is a stuntman. So, I like yes. it. Yes. Yeah. What I have also something else to talk about, Troy. Okay, shoot. You and I are going to launch a newsletter at some point in time in the next few months. Oh, yeah, and we're going to work on that. If anyone wants to sign up for this newsletter, if they go to www.notabombpodcast.com slash newsletter, they can sign up for the newsletter. And, um, you know, we're going to kind of outsource a lot of the work um, to some of our friends who <laughs> content. Kind of, well they want to have an outlet yeah. and we're providing something uh you and i will also kind of say hey here's what we're watching here's this and that um for me like what i've been playing video game wise maybe I'll, I'll mention on there um you know so you know we're trying to kind of communicate more um directly to the people in our circle it's a small circle, but Hey, I appreciate the, you know, the people that are in that circle now. Um, you know, I, I talk to Jose almost every day now. I talk to Sammy <laughs> yeah. every day now, you know, Josh, I talk to like every day now. So, you know, it, it's, it's, it's nice to have that group of people kind of expanding. Um, that is a lot of, thanks to you, you're a little bit more extroverted than I am. So um, I kind of ride your coattails on friendships, but you know, whatever. Um, but no, if you're interested, uh, go to our website. You can, you can find the newsletter, sign up there. Yeah. The, and the idea, like, like Brad said, the people that we know that we participate with behind the scenes, some of them have been on the show, some of them will show up on the show, but they've got a real unique take on certain topics. And um, to Brad's point, we're talking with a lot of people on a regular basis. And there's a lot of stuff that come out of these texts or emails or phone calls, and they're pretty funny. And, you know, the intent of doing the podcast is, is really for Brad and I to just talk movies because we do this all the time. So we thought, hey, let's record it. So you're going to get a lot of shows where it's just us. You're going to get some shows where we bring some of these great personalities on. It's going to be a mix and match. But we thought the newsletter would be a fantastic way to kind of expand that. And you get introduced to other people that we know are huge movie fans but have different takes on different films. Um, and, and really, these are the people that we learn from. So Jose... Sammy, uh, Randy, I mean, the list goes on and on. Josh, there, there are so many people. Alex, who, who does Friends with Cinefits. There are so many people out there that with this community, we do a lot of trading, a lot of suggestions. And I got to say, there, there are just a list of films that I would probably never check out unless this group would come and go, hey, you should watch this. And, and it, I don't know, it just expands your... Yeah, your... I mean, Quick Change is one of them. Oh, absolutely. Before we did yeah. this podcast, I had no idea what that movie was. Yeah. And, you know, here we are 41 weeks later, um, <laughs> you know, reviewing it or 42 weeks later. So, yeah. And and you and I are kind of coming up on our one year anniversary of starting this idea. Oh, my God. That's um, crazy. Man. I know. It's crazy, isn't it? So this is our, our COVID project. And now we've made it into almost 50 episodes. We're getting very close. Yeah. Um, that's crazy to me. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so if, if you're out there and you listen to our show, we appreciate it. Um, I think we could uh, only ask if you could share it with your friends. And then if you, if you want to review our show, wherever you get it, that would be nice as well. Yeah. Or just interact. I, I've yeah. absolutely. Philip, thank you so much 
for picking this film and for sending the stuff to us. Uh, we've had so many people that have sent some great recommendations. Um, it's hurting my wallet a little bit because if there's a chance that we're going to talk about it, I'm running out there and finding a copy of it, be it digital or physical and, and buying it and it's adding to the watch pile. So my wife's not exactly happy about it, but, um, yeah, I got to say, these are, these are great recommendations. And what yes. was cool about watching this week is I got to introduce my, my daughter to this. So she, she really enjoyed this film and had a lot of fun with it. So, yeah, some of the last movies I've purchased in preparation for some of the episodes we are doing is, uh, strange. So we're yeah, going places. all over the place, man. Yes. Yeah. And we've got our list picked out, I think now through August. Yeah. Yeah. We've got it pretty far out. Yeah. Um, and the, and the list is composed. Um, so we've had our original list of films that we wanted to talk about. So we're hitting some of those, but I have to say that a lot of films that you and I have kind of put for our picks are really coming from some listener requests too. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, we'll, we'll put some movies together and we're like, well, these all kind of have the same theme. So let's find another film that fits in there. So we kind of have months that are kind of like theme months and stuff too. It's just kind of nice to have like a cohesive sort of through line for films. It just, I don't know. It, it makes it nice sometimes. I don't know. Just for a change. No, I agree. I agree. And I'm excited to talk the fall. I, I, I like the fact that we can, you know, talk about Bill Murray and quick change and then go right into something like the fall. So we've, we've got a lot of different films coming up just in the last or the next three or four weeks. I mean, I, yeah. when you look at that list, it's crazy. Yeah. So if you want to suggest anything or get in touch with us, um, that is not a bomb pod at gmail.com. We are on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. If you want to give us a follow there, what else is going on? Troy, we agreed on a film. That's I always, I know. yeah. Do you want to see my keyboard again? No, I don't, I don't want to see nor hear your, your keyboard project. <laughs> Listen, man, I spend a lot of time typing. I want to have something that's nice. I, Natalie get, needs to get you out of the house a little bit more, but I know. I know. <laughs> well, what else, Brad? I, I think, I think that covers it. We gave the email and everything else out there. Yeah. Yeah, we did. Right. I, I, I did that without you having to tell me I'm proud of myself. That's good. Um, so listen, go listen to the VH VHS files podcast, gentleman's guide to midnight cinema, friends with Cinefits, where Alex and his new co-host just did an episode on David Lynch. I listened to that today. It was really good. Um, night of the living podcast. Um, go check out the aisleseat.com. Great reviews from our, our good friend, Mike McGranahan, but Hey folks, uh, I don't know if you're listening in the morning, afternoon, or evening. Thank you for downloading the episode. Please leave us a review on iTunes. If you get the time, like Brad said, share it. And I hope you have an awesome day. Oh, <laughs> thank you. Have a nice day. 